Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey. <laughs> How you guys doing? If you guys wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on iTunes, that would be a really wonderful thing to do. Yeah, it'd be a, a wonderful after Christmas present for us. Yeah, or just email us. Like, just let us know what you're thinking. Engage. Yeah. The you, internet's all about engaging, right? Yeah, you can DM us, <laughs> tweet at us. Do all these like things. like the stuff, whatever. Anyway, do that. Yeah. Bye. Here, here's the show. <laughs> Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. Six complete strangers of wildly varying personality characteristics are involuntarily placed in an endless maze containing deadly traps. Oh, man. Is the tagline for this movie. Six people, six sides. We're <laughs> yeah. doing Cube. Yeah. It's happening. That's the movie we did. <laughs> yeah, Cube from 1997, written and directed by Vincenzo Natali, who went on to direct Splice, which we've done on this right. show. He's a TV director these days. He's done episodes of Westworld, episodes of Hannibal, American Gods. Mm-hmm. He's great. He's a great director. And one of the writers went on to create the show Orphan Black. I don't know Orphan Black. Oh, it's great. Is it's, it? Oh, my God. It's a great BBC show. Okay. I highly recommend it. <laughs> All right. You'd love it for the performances that this this person plays six different characters. She's amazing. She deserves all the Emmys six in the world. Six-sided Oh, man. Characters. Oh, my goodness. Let's listen to the Cube trailer. Let's listen to the trailer. A cube. 26 rooms high. 26 rooms across. 17,576 rooms. Does anybody remember how they got here? Why would they throw innocent people in here? Are we being punished? There's a way in here, so there's got to be a way out. Do you think they'd go to all the trouble to build this thing if we could just walk out? You're not getting out of here. Yes, we are. There is no way out of here! We need to get around the traps. They're identified by crime numbers. Figure it out. I can't! I'm not dying in a rat maze! No more talking. No more guessing. You gotta save yourselves from yourselves. We haven't been moving in circles the rooms have. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real dead. <laughs> real dead? Yeah. <laughs> they do in the cube. That's the whole point. They, they die. It, they start getting killed. There's all sorts of puzzles. Mm-hmm. They're death traps. Mm-hmm, they gotta mm-hmm. get out. Yeah, so... The cube is this like three-dimensional puzzle. It's like a Rubik's cube. It's made up of 14-foot square rooms enclosed inside an outer shell. And they made this like equation or whatever that if a cube was 26 rooms high by 26 rooms across by 26 rooms deep, it'd be like somewhere around 17,576 rooms. But of course, the math mind is the one that that figured all this out throughout. Right. Yeah. Right, because they have like an autistic savant. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't him. It was the the math girl. Then right, there was a math girl savant. and there were two math characters in. <laughs> yeah. the movie which yeah. i did find a little bit weird you know what's crazy in the original first draft of the script all the characters were chartered accountants what yeah <laughs> like, that's right what does that mean because they're all math people oh so, okay right. so they were like it was more of a direct like yeah. puzzle experience right because it's like cube solution rested on prime numbers to help point the way out mm-hmm. so it required at least one mathematical mind mm-hmm. to, to solve the way through so they were like 
everybody's smart or we just need one smart person and yeah, then everybody yeah. else. So well, the other one makes it feel more like a test to see like who can solve the cube, right? Rather like than, more, more rather than, like what are they gonna do? Right, Will more they turn like on each saw other? style kind right, of thing, right. as opposed to like who they have to save themselves from themselves, mm-hmm, like yeah. we saw in the trailer. What's cool though is the movie itself was filmed in only twenty days. It was shot mostly with a handheld camera, oh, and it was shot on a single fourteen by fourteen cube set made to look like many different cubes, and right, they just like, like changed gel panels or whatever to do that. Mm-hmm. So. What was crazy is, though, they, like, filmed based on what color room they were in. So, like, for example, the first color that they shot all of was the red color, which happened to be, like, red rooms contain a lot of really heavy dialogue. Even Worth's big There Is No Conspiracy speech in there happened, oh, like, yeah. early on at the beginning of filming. Could you imagine how annoying <laughs> like, that would going be? Going like? straight to the intensity. And then everything else is like, well, no, yeah, this is when you first wake up and <laughs> yeah. you have no idea of, you haven't descended into madness yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, that's the the job of the actor is to know where where right. they are in the script. But I guess that's one one reason why perhaps the the acting and whatnot was bit, left a little to be desired. It's a little bit uneven. Well, because that's his whole thing of like the cube was a headless blunder. You know, it's like maybe it at one point had a purpose, but it's been long forgotten now. Right, <laughs> right, just yeah. Like goes into the whole explanation. <laughs> so yeah, and like I was saying, they changed it from having everybody be accountants, and instead all characters are named after prisons. And their personalities right. are supposed to reflect their respective prison. So their personality is based on the prison that they're named after? Exactly. Like the- so so Quentin is the cop that eventually goes crazy at the end. He seems uh-huh. like a good guy and then is the bad guy. He's is- named after San Quentin State Prison in California, notorious for a high level of brutality. Oh. Mm-hmm. But I'll- did it start nice? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Maybe. Um, prisons always start out nice, right? Right. So then Alderson, he's the guy who dies in the very first scene. He never meets anybody. He's like immediately cubed. Uh-huh. Alderson Prison in West Virginia uses isolation as a major punishment. Oh. So he never so met he's anybody. Alone. He's alone. I by, gotcha. by the way, when she says cubed, she doesn't mean like like the movie killed him. Like he was literally cubed. Yeah, it was he like, was sliced like and wires diced. were came through his body and he was sliced up into cubes. Right. There's cubes happen on a lot of levels in this movie, man. <laughs> it's a very layered Super film. Meta. <laughs> so Rene, he's the guy who gets his face acided off. Uh-huh. He's, you know, he's the one that's like leading everybody around. He throws a shoe in there. He mm-hmm. appears like he's knowledgeable. While Rene Prison in France pioneered many modern prison policies. Oh, really? They're at the forefront of knowing what's what. Kazan. Well, since he was like an escape artist, I would have thought that it would have been like the most escapable prison or least escapable, or it's like some there's nope. escapes They're related just to it. And I guess that means that he's They're loosely tied, Jeff. All right, loosely all right, tied. All right. Kazan's the autistic character named after Kazan Prison in Russia, which is disorganized. Okay. You know, like a scattered brain of oh, an autistic Sure. Brain. sure. It's loose, <laughs> as you mentioned. Holloway is a women's prison in London, leading to a female character. <laughs> a female character, that's it? <laughs> yeah. Classic. It's a woman's class, prison. Yeah. All these different ca- yeah, female these, characters. These complicated, yeah. different personalities. I wish I could say it's that unusual for like for a long time characters to just yeah. be like, woman. Right. Woman character. But she's also like an angry bitch feminist as I oh, recall. Oh yeah, that's right. That's and he's right. like, your pussy's all dry and all. Remember at the There's end, he was crazy he got really, lines in this movie. Really misogynistic at the end. It, ge- it gets very student film good yeah. in, a, in a way that I actually really enjoy right. but it's also like, man. I mean, it 
borders on the student film good in the way that like Oz kind of does. A little you know, bit, because yeah. It's stagey. It's like over the top. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But this unfortunately is just like they kind of. But it sounds like they they changed a lot of things too of like mm. what it was supposed to be. Vincenzo Natale originally had a pan out of what was outside of the cube, and then like in editing, scrapped that immediately. Uh-huh, yeah. That would have completely changed how you feel about right. Cube, the, right? Like a big part of it is not understanding yeah. what's actually happening outside of it. Yeah. Like if you can just like see like it's this facility uh, that it, they built in the desert. Exactly. It's and like right takes away some Wendy's. of the mystique. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that part of the pullout? Like yeah. there's like a Wendy's and a McDonald's nearby. Yeah, Wendy's at a school. Yeah. Or oh, finally the 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 last two prisoners, right? There's Levin and Worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you suppose they're named after? Levin? Leavenworth. Worth Levin. Yeah, exactly. So they're named after Leavenworth in Kansas, which is corporately built and run, relating to Worth, who was the corporate architect of all of this mm-hmm. bullshit, and Levin and her mathematical ability, because the rigid set of rules. Mathematics is rigid. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Why not? like bless your heart Vincenzo yeah well like as far as prisons are concerned I in doing research for this episode watched the movie that came out a little while ago about the Stanford prison experiment I don't know about that this is this crazy thing that happened in the 70s mm-hmm. and like I want to do a deeper dive on it later so just the quick overview is that this professor at Stanford University took a bunch of volunteer students and flipped a coin and basically split them in half one half became guards the other half became prisoners and this experiment was supposed to last for two weeks and in six days things had gotten so out of hand with the guards becoming incredibly abusive un- oh, like, no. and and the prisoners becoming submissive in ways that were really fucked up that he ended it after six days and these for all intents and purposes just normal folks normal students normal from students. yeah Stanford and like what was originally taken from this experiment was the idea that anybody's capable of anything yeah. you know but what's kind of been looked at more recently is how the circumstances of the experiment were actually kind of skewed for that skewed to like for a brutal environment Uh and that like in certain environments and in certain systems that like people will tend into these roles but that like it's way more complicated than that with the actual experiment I feel like, especially in a prison context, it's really easy for fucking Lord of the Flies to start happening, exactly, right? Especially exactly. when you're like, you've established, like, you have this power now. Clearly, we see that people are able to be corrupted and right. able to become power hungry. And well, all they that. were told that there was supposed to be no physical contact. Like, mm-hmm. they weren't supposed to ever hit the prisoners. But then when there was a physical confrontation and the experimenters didn't step in, that was kind of like a tacit acknowledgement that it's okay to keep doing that right which is that's sort of like prison culture in general right right right. yes of course you're not supposed to get in fights with other prisoners Mm -hmm. inside but depending on who your co's are walking around and if they're corrupt and yeah yeah and and just the fact of like like being alone in this environment where you know that like even though they were being watched it was kind of like you know it's just the prisoner and the guard and like Mm -hmm. the experimenters weren't coming in so <laughs> so I guess Renee was right. You really have to save yourself from yourself. That's ex- that's exactly right. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. But yeah, if you're interested in it, check it out. It's on Netflix. It's called The Stanford Prison Experiment. It's a Billy Crudup is in it. Mm-hmm. It's like a movie. It's not a documentary, but gotcha. it's like okay. Okay, really now I, intense. I remember hearing about that. Mm-hmm. But definitely, I mean, we I just covered the the idea of bystander apathy. Yeah, or bystander whatever. effect. It was the yeah. bystander effect. And it, all of these kind of weird 
you know, mass, whether it's mass hysteria or just mass mentalities that yeah. we... <laughs> People fall into their roles and, you know, like one of the main things about this was that all the prisoners started inherently referring to themselves as their prisoner number mm-hmm. rather than their names. And st- like, yeah, you dehumanize like within from, a like, day, from the get-go. Yeah, it, it was like how uniforms dehumanize and like, yeah, Absolutely. Is there, there's a lot of parts to it. Well, and then it, it at least ties in with the the through line of cube like operating under the illusion of a master plan mm-hmm. and like you mm-hmm. keep you keep everyone separated so the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing and you know mm-hmm. w- which in the movie refers to the series of contractors who were hired to construct various parts of the cube none of them knew what the fuck was going on so there wasn't any individual accountability and that's why shit can go go crazy yeah. people are still getting cubed after all this time <laughs> getting cubed worth This movie deals a lot with prime numbers. Yes, it does. It's the primary way that you get out. The primary way. Eh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are prime numbers? I think I needed a refresher, so th- I did. And here that information is. <laughs> Wait, let me see if I can get this. I know that they are only divisible by themselves in one. Mm-hmm. And that there's a lot of them. They're infinite. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> that's pretty much that's all it. I got. Yeah, exactly. That's all <laughs> most of us were taught just to right. know what they were, right? And there's like crazy properties about them that we use for various things. Yeah, I don't know. you're so right. So for example, numbers like two, three, five, seven, and 11 are all prime numbers. But like you were saying, there are infinite number of primes, although they do become less frequent as we go on. Mm-hmm. So an extremely complex mathematical proof shows us that combinations of primes and only primes can be multiplied to produce any whole number at all they gave one example the number 222 you can write it out by saying 2 times 3 times 37 those Uh are all prime numbers they add up to that so yeah you can use only primes to get to any number that that's cool you're cool man prime now mathematicians and computer scientists have been able to determine that it is impossible to come up with the truly efficient formula for factoring large numbers into primes so there's ways of doing this but if you use the same algorithms to factor a seven digit number to factor a 200-digit number or a 500-digit number, it's like even the most advanced supercomputers still take an absurd amount of time to figure that out. And what I mean by factoring is like taking the bit and big number and figuring out what prime numbers you used to get to, to that get to, to, there. The, okay. to get to that number. Uh-huh. So this is saying that there's a functional limit to the size of the numbers we can factor into primes, which is essential to modern computer security. Uh-huh. Modern encryption algorithms exploit the fact that we can easily take two large primes and multiply them together to get a new super large number, but that no computer yet created can take that super large number and quickly figure out what two primes went into making it. The most historically significant algorithm that exploits prime factorization is called RSA. So this is what allows what's called public cryptography or encryption because we don't have to worry about publishing a key because simply having the key won't help anybody be able to break into it because Mm -hmm. in order to undo the encryption and read the message, you need to know the prime factors of the key used for the encryption. And even the best supercomputers can't deduce that. That's right. That's cool. As a matter of fact, in 2009, researchers networked several hundred computers together and spent the equivalent of about 2,000 years for a single computer using advanced factoring algorithms to factor the RSA 768 number, which is a number with 232 digits. Man. 2,000 years to do that. Now, of course, like there's rumors of crazy secret quantum computers either <laughs> in the NSA or elsewhere that can chew through even like gigantic numbers, but there's no real evidence that this is like at our fingertips right, right now. Right, right. 
So yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about like whether you're fucking communicating your credit card info to Amazon or like logging into your bank, you're constantly relying on encryption and therefore you're relying on prime numbers. It's all in your regular life. <laughs> it's true. As Carl Sagan points out so eloquently in the novel Contact, there's a certain importance to prime number status as the most fundamental building block of all numbers, which are themselves the building blocks of our understanding of the universe. Yeah. Because in that book, aliens choose to send a long string of prime numbers as proof that their message is intelligent and non-natural in origin, since primes are one thing that cannot change due to the differences of psychology, lifestyle, or evolutionary history. Mm. Because no matter what an advanced alien life form looks like or thinks like, if he understands the world around it, almost certainly he has the concept of a prime. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Thanks, primes. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you for allowing us to communicate with aliens. Yeah. And Amazon. And Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> So, this movie, you'll be shocked to hear, features a cube. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the main character. (laughs) Yep. I was looking into, like, natural cubes Mm -hmm. and and natural formations of of things like that. Sugar cube? Well, that's (laughs) actually, that's not a natural formation, (laughs) although sugar does naturally form into cubes, just like salt, which Uh I, I focused more on. So, in the Dead Sea, which is 10 times saltier than the Pacific Ocean, giant salt cubes develop naturally. And, like, you look around and there's, like, these big chunks of salt. And then, like, among them, you'll see, like, almost a golf ball-sized cube that's a perfect cube. 10 times as salty as the Pacific Ocean? Yeah, yeah. Is that why there's not a lot of... Fish? Fish there? (laughs) That's why it's dead. Yeah. (laughs) It's the Dead Sea. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And, like, because there's so much salt and so many minerals, I think there are actually fish that they've found more recently that do live there, but it's really that, like, that's why your buoyancy in there, you can never sink in the, in the dead, sea. dead sea you oh. automatically float and so, so you it's won't like, be dead yeah you 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 won't be dead in the dead sea that's exactly <laughs> right but it's got like a 33 percent salinity rather than like three percent which that's is the crazy. regular ocean and so when the water evaporates it it has like a higher concentration of salt and it makes like these salt beds that are that form perfect cubes and the reason for this is that salt on a molecular level is a cube form Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, like, the reason that salt ever doesn't automatically form into cubes is that there are impurities, other molecules that are other shapes that are getting into the salt into and the then, salt. like, messing up the perfect cube shape. Mm-hmm. But it's the same deal with, like, other cubical molecular structures, like iron pyrite, which is better known as fool's gold. Ah, yeah. I didn't know this, but it, like, basically forms into perfect cubes that look like they were perfectly machined. Naturally, that doesn't sound like fool's gold. That sounds like a real smart guy's gold. A real smart guy's machine Maybe gold. Maybe the other real gold is the fool's gold. That's, I think, the truth. <laughs> We're all fools. But yeah, I just like that it's like if it's a cube on a molecule, it can yeah. build up to be a perfect cube and our experience. Fuck yeah, man. All right. Now, you may have heard of a tesseract. Tesseract. I mean, I might have heard the term, but I don't know what it means. Well, basically what it is is a cube in four dimensions. Ah, okay. So, okay. and for in this case, the fourth dimension is not time. This is like another layer of, right. uh, you know, as we know, the three dimensions that we have. Right. Okay. So, when you see a representation of a tesseract, which like people have made, mm-hmm. it's kind of like when you do a two D drawing of a cube. Okay. Like, you, you know, when you draw a cube two, and it's, it's like, like two you, squares, you connect the lines. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's something is lost in the translation to the 2D image. Right. But you do understand that it's a 3D totally. representation. Yeah. 
And there are tesseracts that you can look at, and it looks like a cube within a cube with those lines attached. Mm -hmm. And that's effectively a 3D representation of the 4D object in the way that the drawing of the cube is a 2D representation of the 3D object. Okay. And so if a four-dimensional being or object came through our three-dimensional world, we wouldn't really understand what it would look like. Like, I I saw this old Carl Sagan video Mm -hmm. talking about this, and he was saying, if you lived in a 2D universe, as a three-dimensional object passes through your universe, you only see, like, little slices of it appear suddenly out of nowhere. Okay. Like, you wouldn't actually see, like, he imagined, like, putting an apple through a 2D universe. Mm -hmm. And at first, like, you would see, like, the four points of, like, the bottom of the Red Delicious. Mm -hmm. And you would see them as, like, four things that appear out of nowhere. And then as the apple passes through, you start seeing, like, each slice of it that you can see at a time. In sections. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. And then you never understand what the actual overall structure looked like. Because you couldn't see all of it altogether. But you saw the three-dimensional, the three dimensions of the four-dimensional object. Bizarro. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I get it. I don't know. Right. And that's where it's just like, maybe that's the explanation for ghosts. Or like, you know, you know or you anything. You just see a little bit, like a tiny apparition. Right. You're like, it's, oh. It's a, a fourth dimensional object tra- traveling through your third dimension. Jeez, I don't know, but after doing this show for a year, I'm like, I, I, I don't write anything off completely. Right, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what a tesseract is. In the movie, there it's ostensibly an experiment on people to see about their problem solving abilities, mm-hmm. and without getting into the whole like MK Ultra experiments. Oh gosh. There was an experiment in the mid-60s, just before the FDA banned research on human subjects with LSD, called Psychedelic Agents in Creative Problem Solving. All right, this sounds fun. Mm-hmm. So, 27 people from a variety of different jobs, a bunch of engineers, mathematicians, architects, psychologists, even furniture designers, okay. stuff like that, mm-hmm. they were all asked to bring a professional problem that they had been working on for at least three months. And they had a desire to solve it. And they were given LSD and worked on their problems. I'm delighted. I'm delighted to hear about this. I mean, a bunch of the results indicated that it helped. Mm -hmm. Some results indicated that it hindered. But apparently, like, a bunch of solutions came out of this experiment. Mm -hmm. Solutions like a space probe designed to measure solar properties, a linear electron accelerator beam steering device, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. Wow a better tape recorder, a chair design that was accepted by the dude's boss or contractor <laughs> or whatever, sure. a mathematical theorem regarding NOR gate circuits, yeah. which when I looked into that, I understood it enough to know I'll never know what the fuck that is. Totally. Like the participants reported that they had an easier capacity to restructure the problem in a larger context. Their ideas were more flexible. They were better able to visualize and fantasize about the ideas conceptually. They could concentrate better. And they were associating more dissimilar ideas that they usually wouldn't connect. Understood. And they were really motivated to get closure on their ideas. Fuck yeah. Well, that's the thing. This is a case to me of, well, obviously, depending on what an individual's body chemistry is, but it's also dependent on the chemical or the the drug that you're using. Because LSD is notoriously like, I've only... Quas, I used it once. I think uh-huh. I was in tandem with a lot of other things at the time, so I couldn't really determine. But Isolate the LSD. <laughs> exactly. I've partied. What do you? What do you want? But you know, I've talked to people that have used it 
before and they talk about how it's it makes things extremely clear mm-hmm. or you know it's not just like oh, I'm gonna party it's not like necessarily a party drug right but it really does open your mind in a way that you've never really thought about before Steve Jobs has certainly said that he his LSD experience when he went and lived in India for a few months is like yeah. why the Mac exists totally like, I mean we're like fucking Pink Floyds and <laughs> right, the blues exactly. and what Led Zeppelins of the world but also I was thinking in terms of being able to solve problems though and certainly with 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 regard to the cube and whatnot have you ever gone to one of these escape rooms i've been to one and i want to do everyone okay okay so i went to an escape room but i tripped a bunch of mushrooms at the time and i was a complete waste of life i mean i had the time of my life and was running around was like yahoo and like laughing my balls off but like i was laughing at like the urgency with which everyone else was trying to solve the problems and i did nothing was everybody else in the same place Three of us were, and then the rest were like normals, uh-huh. and just did, and I don't think we're under the influence of anything. But that was the other thing is like trying to keep that under wraps. When meanwhile I'm just like having a having a fucking. Did breakdown. you guys escape? We were so close. Somebody sabotaged us. It was. I, oh man. Friendships were temporarily like halted. A bad trip. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was like we were right there, and somebody was like, "Oh, I didn't know I had the flashlight in my pocket." And we're like, oh, "You fucking you knew you dicks. had the flashlight in your pocket, you motherfucker." <laughs> yeah. That kind of thing. Anyway, but that's all to say that I could see how, depending on the task and depending on right. the drug that you're using, how maybe you could blow your fucking mind in a good way or just kind of get tired. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, that's the thing. Apparently also, like, there, there's some questionability surrounding this in, in that, like, they may have also given them some meth along the line. Right. <laughs> like, to... Yeah. As, like, a boost. So <laughs> it's like, was it the meth or yeah. was it the LSD or was it both? That definitely explains the excitement. But, yeah, because, you know, meth heads definitely want to get shit done. But I think that that was, like, they had done, like, some preliminary experiments that they were like, oh, we need to get people... People who like already have a desire to finish this problem before <laughs> we go into the yeah, yeah, well, no, just kidding, just kidding. Exactly. No, but no. people that have a problem that they're trying to complete exactly that they've been thinking about for a while that maybe this could like you know change the way you know you gotta you get in the shower you go for a walk fuck yeah whatever it is to get that get <laughs> the know, juices get flowing get those juices flowing sometimes it's a walk sometimes it's hallucinogens yeah whatever. exactly <laughs> So this movie has a lot of traps in it. Oh, yes. Yes, it <laughs> primary, does. Primary things. <laughs> now, I wanted to just hear about some crazy booby traps that people have, have put in their houses. You talked about some ancient booby traps before in the Mummy yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, like the Terracotta Warriors. Oh, yeah, and like super Yeah, cool. in the Mummy episode, I went on a bunch of like, there was like, razor sharp wires that they would hang at neck level yeah I, <laughs> it's all I sorts would, of weird shit i just wanted to hear about any modern day like kevin McAllister home alone yeah, guys yeah. <laughs> just like did you set up it would you put some jacks on the ground yeah the you, how many like paint that? cans on a rope <laughs> yeah, totally so let's go through a list of these shall we let's do it but now got this from cracked.com always a delightful source for i do love cracks yeah so let's go through this this is the shotgun story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, in Belgium in 2002, there's this guy, Louis Dethy. He was—he had a wife and a bunch of kids. Apparently, he cheated on his wife. She takes the kids away. He's having a hard time. Family turns on him. Mom tells him that he has to get out of the house that she bought for him and leave it to his daughter. Mm-hmm. So, Dethy, in this last-ditch revenge plot against his family, he rigs more than a dozen shotguns all over his house, <laughs> including a crate of beer that would trigger a shotgun when enough bottles were removed. Shit. <laughs> enough parties were taking place a trunk full of money in the attic rigged to blow your head off television had a shotgun rigged to it the water tank like the aquarium water tank had a fucking shotguns 
So, so anything you do in this house, you're going to get your head yeah, blown it's, off. Yeah, it's rigged to the max. But he let you have at least one or two beers before... <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> One or two. Gave you that. Take the edge off <laughs> yeah. before you get whacked. Uh-huh. Now, he wrote out a series of codes and riddles to help him remember where the shotguns were hidden because he was super clebs. But the traps were so well hidden and elaborate that it took a military anti-mining team three weeks to disarm 19 of them. Wow. So this involved taking apart the entire like three-story house that he had. And there were supposed to be 20 traps. Mm-hmm. According to Deathy's notes, a team could only find 19. Mm-hmm. So for the 20th, they were just like, fuck it. And they still have not figured it out. And the final clue, according to this article, was the 12 apostles are ready to work on the pebbles. What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait. Did he shoot off his head? I forget Like if he was was a dum-dum that got his head blown off by okay. one of his shotguns. So that's... I also looked into this story. Okay. And yeah. Because... One of the clues that I read, the clue was cheaper by the dozen. And that was supposed to reference the movie, which has a child throwing a plate at somebody's head. Oh, God. And so that was supposed to indicate that the dinner plates were rigged. And he <gasps> forgot. And he got his head And he got off. his own head blown off by himself. Like, oh, no. So they showed up at the house and were like, wait a minute. They thought it was a suicide at first, and then they like accidentally they set okay. off another shotgun, and it barely missed them. And they were like, "Wait oh, a minute!" So he's got this. Thing. Whoa! Gotcha, gotcha. That's how they were even like clued into the fact that it was booby traps. Right. Then they knew they were like, "Whoa!" One of his own booby traps went off. Okay. So and they killed did himself. that. And then there was still this final <clears throat> this final trap clue. That they the could... twelve apostles are what, ready to work on the. Pebbles. What do you think that is? I feel like it's got to be outside. It's got to be a Bible thing. Yeah. Right. Maybe or is there like yeah maybe there's a painting in the house or. A Bible or a pebble, but just maybe. Like, wait, maybe it's like he's got a Bible on his nightstand and one of those pebble wristwatches on top of it. Right, I'm thinking the twelve. I'm always thinking clocks. Oh, that's so I was good, just like, I don't yeah. know, the twelfth apostle is that noon? It sounds like he just didn't put it in. <laughs> right, I would love that. He's <laughs> he like, hadn't that's finished the ultimate it. payback is being like. Bitches, are you ever gonna actually move in here not knowing whether that right. shotgun's gonna Well, that's gonna the blow thing. Up? It's like, would you buy that house if you were <laughs> like, they were like, we found 19 of them. Yeah. And we're pretty sure that's all. Pretty sure that that last one was just a dummy one. And so. then it's like, two years into yeah. living there, you finally do something little yeah. that you like, you the know. The clock stroke 12. Yeah, you. And we were pebbling. <laughs> we were pebbling. We were throwing pebbles on the old. Pond. I don't know. All right, let's move on. Yeah. In 2004, a man tried to stab. Yumer or Jumer Selimovsky, I don't know his first name, it doesn't matter, who retaliated by shooting the man in the hand. So Jumer, I'm going to say Jumer because I like it, he didn't feel safe, so he picks up his family and moves away. But even in his new house, he didn't feel safe because he kept thinking that he was hearing footsteps on the roof and, you know, kept reporting to the police that he was the victim of disturbing events and whatnot. There's a Santa Claus every night. (laughs) Exactly. It's not even Christmas. He's trying to get in my chimney. So then Selimovsky decides to screw two exposed wires into his gutters, which carry a 254-volt punch, which means that more than enough voltage would give somebody hanging off of his gutters like burns, shocks, cardiac arrest, the whole nine. So weirdly enough, though, an an area fire that was totally unrelated to his roof causing Mm. an electrical fire ended up destroying the house entirely. But since Jumer was fairly new (laughs) to the area and not officially a resident of the town, he was not eligible for disaster relief. Oh, no. So his house got destroyed. He's new because he's all paranoid. House gets destroyed, doesn't get the insurance. And since and the it po- wasn't even his fault. And it wasn't even his fucking fault. And since the police had to inspect his house after the damages, he has since been convicted of laying a trap without caring who got hurt by it and will likely face fines. Man. 
So don't electrify your roof. Yeah, there's got to be laws against setting traps. (laughs) Like, (laughs) there's got to be... Right. I mean, I guess it's a pretty severe fine if somebody dies. You're like, that's actually Home Alone 2 is Kevin McAllister, like, gets arrested (laughs) for, like, murdering the burglars. He doesn't care who comes through the traps. (laughs) But it is kind of crazy because it's like, yeah, what is personal home security and what is like dude there's roofers that have to come in sometimes like who knows yeah a stray cat and squirrels have to get murdered yeah it's like it's like if somebody comes to check the meter like the power meter or something you can't (laughs) rig it to explode yeah so sorry joomer okay let's move on to langley collier's trash mansion (laughs) a trash mansion So this is back in the 1900s, early 1900s. So Langley and Homer Collier were brothers. And once Homer went blind, Langley started taking care of him, which is super cute until you realize that that meant he made sure his brother didn't visit a doctor or really anybody ever again. It was a very like, whatever happened to baby Jane moment kind of thing. (laughs) Langley was also a compulsive hoarder. And he, throughout his life, accrued 103 tons of useless shit by the time he died. 103 tons? Tons. Jeff. So times 2,000? Yeah. Throughout all of these years, <laughs> That's right? That's crazy. So he also had an engineering degree. So not only was he a hoarder, but he also decided to fill his mansion with this trash and create this crazy maze that only he could enter in and out of. Whoa. So the, the maze was littered with trip wires that would drop massive amounts of the crap on top of your head at any moment. <laughs> Even when a local bank tried to evict the Colliers, a team of locksmiths found that pretty much every entrance to the place was blocked by massive amounts of immovable garbage, and they eventually decided to just give up because they're like, we can't even get in. <laughs> so what? Wait. So they're just like barricaded themselves in with garbage? With garbage. So then in 1947... But one of them has like no say over this. Yeah, one of them he's is like blind like, and it, it sounds like he was kind of an invalid. And uh-huh. then Langley was the crazy kook who, you know... If you he, don't want the one person taking care of you to be a hoarder. A hoarder and a and like and crazy a, mad scientist yeah. engineer who's like, yeah. ha, ha, I've got you. <laughs> now in 1947, after years of gossip, the cops got a call that Homer, who's the blind brother, was dead. And so they finally went in to investigate and they broke in through a window and sure enough, they found that Homer was dead of a heart attack. And then a couple of weeks later, they found Langley, who had triggered his own booby trap and had been crushed to death under a huge pile of newspapers. Oh my God. He crushed to death by newspapers? That's a lot of newspapers. That's the second guy on this list who got killed yeah. by his own trap. Extra, extra. Watch out. Oh, oh my God. Uh, extra, <laughs> extra, extra garbage. Extra, extra garbage. By the way, Thanks Cracked told me that the chair Homer died in, better known as the Collier Death Chair, is currently owned by Babette Bombshell, which is the star of the movie Cockhammer. Okay. Uh, yeah. I've so, never seen that movie. I haven't seen that movie either. I don't know what kind of deep diving they did. To we get all to the know it was an excuse to say the word Cockhammer. <laughs> right. We know that. <laughs> I'm sure when they were researching, they were just like, whatever happened to the death chair? Like, the <laughs> yeah. dog- And they were like, cockhammer, yeah. gotta talk about like, this. What kind of porn star is like, I need someone's death chair in my house. Right. Need it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, so similarly, there's this guy, Ian Price, and he was all fucked up and, you know, his marriage was on the rocks classic. It sounds like people just have issues and that's why they build these booby traps, right. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, I don't know how many, like, well-adjusted people are building right. booby traps. <laughs> that are really thinking that yeah. everyone's out to get in them. In the modern tra- world yeah so apparently he was also a kitchen planner i don't know what the fuck that means but just making kitchens more efficient so price apparently built this device that was supposed to torch his house while his wife was inside so that he could win both of the you know the fire insurance as well as her his wife's life insurance policy 
Classic plan. Classic plan. Now, the device involved a heat gun, a light timer, a stack of wicker furniture, a blowtorch, and a gas cylinder. The biggest flaw in Price's plan was that it relied on his wife just, like, sitting there while the house was light, being lit what? on fire. There wasn't, like, an explosion that just blew her up. It was like, It was like, my smoke house is, is coming. <laughs> I should leave. I'm going to go. Uh, <laughs> stop, drop, and roll. I've been in school before, you know. So, yeah, Mrs. Price leaves. Like, like the simple response of, like, <laughs> I can go. I can leave now. So then she ends up calling the fire department. And the firefighters find this crazy toy, and Price is now in jail. Wow. Yeah, dumb, dumb, dummy, dumb, dumb, dummy, dumb. Man, can you imagine like real like he was gonna what? Like, yeah. like you, your husband. husband? Yeah. I'm sorry, Mrs. Price. I know that you've lost everything that matters to you, right. but also There's you something were supposed bigger to bigger than this house yeah. that we need to tell yeah, you about. Try counseling. Perhaps it's beyond <laughs> that. Not sure. Let's move on to Nigel Cockburn's magical exploding shed. I know. I need. There's to a lot that. to unpack there. It's magical. Yeah. His name is Cockburn. His name is Nigel. Is always pleasant. It's an explosion. <laughs> so Mr. Cockburn owned three cottages in a shed in the middle of England, and he claimed people kept breaking into his cottages twenty times in fourteen years, to be exact. Now, on July 10th, 2006, Cockburn's shed caught fire and a bunch of firefighters burst in. And they see that Cockburn had massive piles of ammo stored inside. He'd wired his cottages with a bunch of, like, infrared sensors and tubs of weed killer around and chemicals and then all these CCTV cameras around. Okay. Super intense. He also had a microwave in his shed that would electrocute you if you touched certain things. Now, <laughs> Look, what is he trying to keep safe? Just, no, no. like, some tools? Exactly. And then when you keep it so that only you, maybe... Uh, know where your traps are it's right. like what are you doing so like an explosive expert pushed open his door they find this crazy giant steel bear trap that was like the size of a man trap they called it and in court yeah. Cockburn was saying he's like that was just welding practice <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the jury didn't buy it of course they convicted Mr. Cockburn of everything he was charged with except wounding with intent because one of the fire experts came in and got his head bashed in with the fucking with the bear trap but that was like not he didn't mean he to didn't hurt mean him. to do that <laughs> he just had booby traps everywhere and finally Man. this is kind of a bummer but in 97 this guy john saperstein was an unemployed construction worker living in new york and he decided to sell children's fireworks and knives hidden in lipstick tubes now possibly while experimenting on a new exploding toy to sell to children he managed to blow a hole in his left hand with some homemade explosives so while he was on the way to the hospital he basically warned the cops that he had two bombs that were set up in his apartment they found them and they turned out to be tripwire bombs one of which he hid in a flashlight and one of which he hid in an empty box of baby wipes and oh. he even had his 18 month old daughter in the house whoa fucking dumb peeps <laughs> is that like to like is his wife gonna go grab a quick baby wipe and like what was the intention well it sounds like he was selling it to people you know it's sort of like we were listen we talked about before like microphones hidden in oh, lipstick like, tubes here's and a little fake bomb olives. or yeah. by not by not fake not They're fake real at all bombs that you're selling to a kid in baby wipes yeah so it's unclear whether or not the intention was to actually fuck people up or if it's just like no one will search my baby wipes as i smuggle my explosives across the border man People, am I right? People, booby trapping their lives. (laughs) Such boobies. (laughs) What a bunch of boobies. (laughs) So this movie portrays like a Rain Man-like savant Mm -hmm. who understands 
a lot about numbers and right, stuff like that. Right, because in his disorganized brain. Mm-hmm. And I was looking into that, and the word savant literally means learned idiot. Clearly a name that comes from a very, like, it's rooted in misunderstanding of yeah. what this actually is, because they're not idiots. I mean, they, they're incapable of doing a lot of things, but then they're in, they basically have superhuman abilities in other ways. So the skills of a savant are usually in one of five major areas. Art, memory, arithmetic, musical abilities, and spatial skills. Uh-huh. And it's associated with autism, but only a small fraction of autistic people actually have savant syndrome. Okay, because while you were talking, I was like, does that just mean they didn't know the term autistic at that time? No, but- right. They're, they're different things, but like, they're, it's more common for savants to be autistic. Okay. And also, it's very rare, but severe brain injuries can cause savant syndrome. Interesting. So Rain Man is actually based on a real guy named Kim Peek, who can read two pages of a book at once with each eye. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. It takes him three seconds to read two pages, and he remembers everything on them. He's known as a mega savant, but there's like a bunch of other people who are kind of close or somewhere on this savant scale. People who can do calendar counting, which is that thing where you can say a date, like any date, and they'll know the day of the week. Oh, is- that happened to the Magic Castle, the mathematician. Really? He he was asking people in the audience like what their birthday was and, and telling them say, the day. Yeah, that's like it's this crazy ability. It's really rare that yeah. somebody can do that. The math magician was a savant. It must have been. Yeah. <laughs> it's not so much magic as just like, like his crazy ability in his brain. I read about a kid who suffered a brain injury and then was able to sculpt perfect representations of animals that he'd only seen for a second on TV. Mm-hmm. There's a guy who had a brain hemorrhage and then he can't stop painting. The paintings are insane and intricate. Mm-hmm. And they think that the hemorrhage flooded his frontal cortex with blood and that like stopped any artistic inhibitions that people usually have. Mm-hmm. And it just allowed him... Like He says he sees endless, endless corridors and his paintings are snapshots of that mental picture. This all started in his 50s when he got hit in the head. Wow. See, it's interesting to think about it in terms of like brain chemistry like that as a result of an injury versus brain chemistry with after use of LSD or something we right, were talking right. about before. Right, exactly, like, yeah. Like freeing those channels up to see things you never saw before. The chemical interactions yeah. of the brain are so... They're mysterious. <laughs> mysterious. <laughs> now, I read about this one kid who, and I like, I want to look way more into this person because mm-hmm. this is really like, oh, there's a story here. <laughs> This kid is basically, like, he makes Mozart, who was playing perfectly mm. at age four, look like shit. This is shit? really Yeah. Whoa, no. This is pretty fucked up, though, because, so he was a blind eight-year-old who was born as a slave. Okay. And he was more than likely autistic. His name was Tom Wiggins. And his insane piano playing abilities were discovered by his white masters, who then took him on tour and were started making like $100,000 off of him a year, which in 1800s money is like millions and millions a year. Right, and he obviously not did not see any of that? No, although he was around 16 years old when the Civil War ended, but it seems like the family that owned him still had like custody of him because mm-hmm. he was not as able to take care of himself too, mm-hmm. like even as an adult because he has these severe issues. Right. But what he could do is he could play any piece of music after hearing it once with his back to the piano. Wow. He could also play one song with his right hand, another song with his left hand, and then he could sing a third song at the same time. That's just 
cuckoo and he became the sensation known as blind tom mm-hmm. who was like the best known pianist in the 19th century in america and he had a lifelong career and yeah i mentioned he was 16 when the civil war ended so i do feel like there's an oscar winning biography here <laughs> right, you know like, like happening. It, it seems like i want to learn more about blind tom but like he seems like he was a real sensation. They were originally going to kill him when he was born blind, mm. but then somebody in the family decided, you know what, let's just let him run around with the slave families rather like than Aronis. kill him. And then yeah. they found out, like, one day he wandered in, started playing piano, and they were like, we've got ourselves a, a moneymaker. Wow, well, man, oh man, oh man. The exploitation of it all. I mean, yeah, it's it's... I'm almost blown away by people that are ambidextrous. Right, yeah. Ambidextrous. I can't even say the fucking word. You know what I mean? Like, I can write with both my my right and my left, let alone I can play a song here, my song over here, sing a song over here. It's crazy. And and that it was like in in him from yeah. age three or four to do that, and it's also like the circumstances. Like if he was born in a different circumstance, he would have, you know, yeah. everybody would know who Blind Tom is. Which <laughs> right. it sounds like who everybody did know who Blind Tom <laughs> right. was. I just think it's crazy to think that you know our knowledge of the human brain is still reasonably new. Very new. You yeah. know, I mean. I feel like even even something like Rain Man seems dated now with just like what mm-hmm. we know about autism and and also like the kind of things that you can work with autistic people so that the stereotypical lack of social skills or whatever is no longer a thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're even at the point where it wasn't until like around 2009 that we realized that Kim Peek, the guy who Rain Man was based on, may not have autism at all. Uh-huh. And he ha- has a different thing called FG syndrome. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, I even have a tough time distinguishing between like the whole spectrum of autism mm-hmm. and Asperger's. And, you know, there's like, of course, for, for evolution to make sense, that means that our brains are going to evolve in different ways. And we've had such a weird time of categorizing it because we like need to. Yeah. We need to put things into boxes. And yet. And yet. When the box is so malleable, how do you know <laughs> what's in it and yeah. what's not? <laughs> Cool when the stuff. box is a cube. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> Drink for title. Did you have any favorite lines? No, I mean, I, I do think that whole, like, it wasn't a conspiracy is one long favorite line of mine. Right, Just like, right. you know, there's the illusion of a grand masterpiece. Is that where he that says, is- like, why put people in it? Because it's here. And if you don't use it, you admit it's pointless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was all around that time. It's <laughs> like Quentin Tarantino knockoff guy going on this epic like rant about the the corporate overlords. Yeah. Oh yeah, he he said multiple times like I can see through you. I can see into people. I'm like an X-ray. Yeah. He said I'm like an X-ray, I'm like an X-ray. multiple times. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. and that's just one of those like like the writer, I could see him sitting back from the computer just like, ah, nailed it. Yeah, totally. I mean, look, I like the idea of, you know, people's biggest enemy being not the cube, but each other and yeah, like yeah, not yeah, knowing yeah. what's to what to expect. And then they also touch on this concept of just the will to live, because at a certain point you're like, we're not going to get out of this fucking cube. Right. Why are we even still trying? That's like, you've got the will to live and survive. And you all keep that trying as long as you've got one breath left. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. What do you? What would you have done? I feel like I would have tried for a little bit, but I've seen all these people getting sliced and diced and acided and all this stuff. Like, whoa. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would have stopped trying mm-hmm. and just like sat there. Although I, that may have been my original 
instinct like because you sit it's like for a couple hours maybe well, well they say if you're lost stay in the same spot mm-hmm. so that like people have a better chance of finding you or there's something about that where it's like yeah just stay put so you're not is like a around. good technique mm-hmm. and moving from cube to cube would not be good yeah but also i don't know like i fucking yeah would i i wouldn't know the prime number thing and i would look at that and be like i'm not gonna solve this yeah it's like well because like the idea of the the wilderness i could see like never wanting to give up because you're just like just one more step who knows right, it could right, finally right, be it. right right i think what would deter me is all these crazy fucking booby traps right, yeah. just the anxiety alone and be like do i really need to go out in a fiery blaze although right. i guess you know if you might as well die fast as opposed to just starving to death inside the cube yeah i don't know yeah i feel like maybe i would get to a point where i would kill myself via cube yeah you know what i then mean just waste away into nothing like i would probably as i was like dying of dehydration be like i can't i yeah. don't i hope i wouldn't i know you don't want it but yeah or you could just be like our our savant Kazan and just stick with it and then be the one to, to you know, get out of that place. We can only hope. Bright white light. <laughs> Blah. Anyway. Oh, you said Cube 2. Cube is being remade, is it? Oh, yeah. There's a remake in the works called Cubed. We'll see how it is, if it's any good. Vincenzo doesn't seem to be involved. Right. But Old there Vincenzo. were actually, there were two sequels already to Cube. That's right. There was Cube 2 Hypercube, mm-hmm. which was the first movie in the Cube universe that I saw as a kid. And then there was Cube Zero, which is like a prequel to Cube. Right. It's like know. Coke Zero. It's Less a lot calories. like Coke Zero. <laughs> oh, one thing we did not mention at all. That fucking crazy music. The music. Okay, the music. We got to play a little bit of this if we can find it. The music was scored by Joya's voice. <laughs> there was a lot of scoot, scoot, scoot. I mean, literally, there were times when Jeff had to ask me or, like, look at my mouth and see if it was moving because it sounded like me being like... Like, it seriously, it was uh, it was definitely not an instrument. It was somebody's voice doing oh, it. Yeah. And it was, like, the exact noise. Exactly. It Let's see if we can find exactly it. Exactly like <laughs> I swear to God, okay. it's you. It's yeah, you doing, it's it. doing it. I did not know that you scored this movie. <laughs> and I can't believe it's not until now that you're admitting it. God, if only I was like of age in 97, I, I could have been like, guys, move over, other voiceover actor. <laughs> There's a new sheriff in town. Anyway, this was fun. I enjoyed myself. Yeah, this was great. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Mm-hmm. You can find us at ohthatsathing.com and on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, oh, that's a thing on Twitter and Insta. I'm at It's a Joy of Me on Insta and Twitter. And I'm at Jeffrey Ekman. And you can find us all next week when we have another episode, <laughs> which is going to be The Truman Show. Oh, God, what a delight. Oh, it's going to be fun. Yeah. See you guys then. Bye. Bye.